Today, Larry has a follow-up regarding subscription models and friends don't let friends shoot vertical video, or do they? Also, I've got special guest Monica on the show to talk about our New Zealand adventure so far. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 852 for sometime in the middle of January. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. So here I am in New Zealand, here we are in New Zealand, we traveled for like 20 hours, 27 hours straight, um, that was pretty much the longest flight we've ever done from Frankfurt to Dubai to Auckland and well here we are at at the beginning of a long trip that will take us even higher up to the north um, and all the way down to the southern tip of New Zealand's South Islands. We started in Auckland and then made our way to uh, Coromandel. Um, we've booked most of our accommodations, three nights here, three nights there. Uh, we're now down in Napier. Um, did a stop in between in Rotorua and uh, one in Tupo, Tupo, Taupo, not sure how to pronounce that. Um, we've also booked a few of the attractions, not too many, because kind of we kind of want to explore New Zealand and find interesting places that that are more off the beaten path, stuff that you cannot really read about in TripAdvisor. Um, and the best way to do that is through locals. And that's why we mostly stay in bed and breakfast. We, we've done that several times before, and we've always got the best tips from locals. So uh, that's what we're doing here. And of course, we're also here for photography, but we're taking it kind of easy for the first couple of weeks, at least. Um, when we came here, our our inner clock was <laughs> twelve hours off from where we come from, and it took a few days for us to to get. Uh, to get used to it, uh, and now after over a week, we're we're still kind of getting up much earlier than usual. So yeah, it changes things. Um, but you know what? Let me get Monica on to talk about all this. So here we are at our little kitchen table in Napier, in our uh, in the place that we are now staying in for three nights, four days. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and who am I talking to? You are talking to Monica, your significant other, still. I hope, I hope also what after, do you mean still? after this journey. So. No, no, we are actually getting along pretty well. So, um, yeah, we, um, I thought I'd get you on the show for once to, well, just recap. I mean, we've, we've been here together for over a week now, and uh, you and I both have different views of New Zealand and different experiences and and different interests here. So I thought it would be interesting to, uh, yeah, to get you on the show. Now, this is not entirely about photography because we are on vacation here. So we do take time to uh, do photography, but it's not the main purpose. And um, let's see. So, I mean, this is this is our first time on the Southern Hemisphere. Absolutely, yeah. We have been quite near to the equator, but never crossed it so far. The closest, the closest was Ethiopia. Yes. It was like eleven degrees north. Mm -hmm. And this one, this this stay here is pretty different. I, I mean, on the one hand, is according to what I've expected, but on the other hand, um, 
it never occurred to me how close we are to the equator right now. And you actually had to tell me that, um, that New Zealand is quite close to it. It doesn't feel well, like it. On close, close. Uh, it's at 36 degrees south. So yeah, much close, but much closer than we are. Well, than you thought. Yeah. When we th than we thought. Yeah. And, um, it's the first rainy days today. So I think we will have rain tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. Mm. And um, so far, it was super sunny here. New Zealand is the place with the ozone hole right. above it. Right. It was not. It was not extremely hot. I think. I don't know how it is in Fahrenheit, but um, we had about twenty-three to twenty-five degrees Celsius. But what you quickly experience when you're here is that you get roasted <laughs> in a very <laughs> short time. Because the, the UV index is so high. So yeah. sun is really burning down on us. And um, that is something you, you have to work with when you are in New Zealand. Yeah, UV index is uh, something that we are now very familiar with. And uh, the lowest sun protection factor you can buy is like 30. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally you'd uh, apply a 50 or 50 plus. And uh, we've been doing this. And we we had to. I mean, you otherwise, at least with my skin, I'd be burned in in fifteen minutes. Yeah, same here. And the funny thing is that normally I never my my skin never gets color apart from red when when I've just burned. But here, even using sunscreen with a factor of fifty plus, my skin just tries to tries to to build up some color just as out of self-defense which it usually doesn't do doesn't it never does and um, i really I, i really look as if i had seen the sun in a good way mm -hmm. although i use the highest um, sunscreen available here so that is that's a bit funny and that i've never experienced before and what is also uh, interesting that um in a lot of cafes you find um a bottle of sunscreen at the counter also offers for to, everyone to use for everyone to use and what is also funny what was funny to me mm. when i saw that a lot of cafes actually sell hats hats you can buy hats pretty much everywhere straw hats different like simple hats everywhere panama hats, panama hats everywhere you get those for a good reason again for a good reason because when the when the uv index is above 10 you normally should not leave the house without using a hat And protection, sun protection, yeah. uh, long sleeves sometimes are a good idea. Yeah, I cannot understand people running here on spaghetti tops. I, <laughs> I, I would not, no, I would not be able to do that. So normally, uh, longish shorts and t-shirts are what uh, what we use. You should maybe it would be better even to to wear a shirt or or longer trousers. But okay. I, I'm not that crazy because it's nice to, to nice to have a bit of a summer feeling. Yeah, so it is summer here. It's the peak of the season, pretty much. Um, again, we're recording this mid-January, so um, the light, of course, obviously, we're looking at a lot of very harsh lights. Um, we're also with 36 degrees, relatively close to the equator, so the sun comes up really fast in the morning and goes down pretty fast in the evening. We are, yeah, we, have, we haven't really had a sun. Well, yes, we did have a sunrise uh, once, uh, which was just a couple of days ago when we drove to visit uh, uh, Paul. 
Paul was um, invited us. He's a listener, and uh, he invited us to Taipei, and we uh, we met him, and we went for. Uh, he organized a few things for us, including uh, sheep shearing. Yes. So Monica, Monica, <laughs> you are you're all into fiber, into wool. Uh, you spin, you knit, you dye, you do like all sorts of things with wool. Um, so. <clears throat> going to a what's here called a sheep station, which is pretty much a, a sheep farm, a big sheep farm. We're talking 10 or 20,000 sheep. We're talking a lot of sheep in one of these farms. And um, uh, Paul organized that we could attend or just watch and photograph um, professional sheep shearers doing their thing. This was, again, we were the only non-shearers there. Yeah, that was, that was super interesting because, <clears throat> I, I mean, they grab one of the sheep um, that is in a, in, a, in, a pen. in a pen waiting to be shorn. I mean, not really waiting. They would, <laughs> would, 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 would love it more to just stay outside, but they get all squished <laughs> into a pen. Then one of the shearers grabs the sheep. Pulls it out. Pulls it out, puts it uh, in between his knees. And then it takes less than a minute to shear that sheep. I'd say 40 seconds 40 maybe seconds. For, for a sheep uh, to be shorn. And it's there's loud music blaring. There's mm -hmm. like, in that case, there were five shearers working in parallel. So that's like five, over five sheep a minute. Mm -hmm. um, we did the math. They, they probably, if they work through and they, they don't talk, they just do their job. Um, They're probably gonna do like 2,000 sheep in one day. Yeah. So in 10 days, the entire farm is shorn. Yeah, and that is pretty pretty big business for them because they get paid by the sheep. <clears throat> so the more they manage to share, the the better the outcome is, so to say. Isn't it a couple of dollars, New Zealand dollars mm, a sheep, I something think along those lines? Two to three lines? dollars a sheep, I think. Okay, so so we were in there for probably 45 minutes and we watched them and we photographed them and we're just working on some of the photos to, to send back to them. Um, and they were totally fine with us doing this. Other, uh, apart from that one lady whose job or two, there were two ladies whose job was to sort the wool into the, the like the bad and the good stuff. Yeah, the big pile that <clears throat> is about to be, be compressed into bales mm -hmm. later on. And the, the shearer starts the sorting, so to say, because the wool they shear up from the legs is normally super dirty, so they put it aside pretty quickly. And then the woman checks what, what is still not good and puts it also to the side, and right. then the good stuff goes into the, <coughs> into the big pile. So, so she has kind of a... A kind kind of a squeegee that she uses to sort. Of, it was like we were always in the way. She was like, "Out of my way! Out of my way!" Out of my way. Um, but it was exciting to photograph because it was like it was it was action. It was real action, mm -hmm. and we uh, we we managed to get close to some of the things without getting shorn ourselves. What, what was cool <laughs> was the 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 floor is made out of wood. And because of all the lanolin, the wool is the the That's wood the fat is fat in the wool. The right? fat, right? The 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 wood on the floor is really slippery. slippery. So um, they really use the the texture of the floor to 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 help sort the wool. So when when they go with the squeegee, it really slides away. It, mm -hmm. It's really it, it, it's super interesting to see. So that was one of the things we did. Um, we also went to a lodge up in the mountains, which was. Um, 
again, just one of those things you you can you could rent a house there, you could stay there. Um, it's above a canyon. There's no one else near. It's just the 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 nature around it. As with so many places here, is so amazing. The trees are huge. The, everything is kind of big here. Things grow very fast. Everything is very lush. <clears throat> yeah, and uh, I managed to to fly the drone there over the canyon, which is. I don't know, 300 meters deep at that point, two, 300 meters deep, which is like uh, almost a thousand feet. Um, I'm just guessing, but it was, it was cool. It was scary to fly that, that drone over the canyon. But um, yeah, so, so got some video footage from there. Um, and then we went down to the river and did a little bit of rafting there um, and had a nice picnic. So that was a great day. Um, very exciting stuff and it was a lot of fun so thanks paul for for organizing that that was and marie marie uh was with us too paul's and, wife and stormy the dog and stormy the dog i took a nice picture of stormy i should put this online um so yeah photography is kind of it's a challenge because so far most of what we had was the blaring sun during the day um, further up in the north, when we landed in Auckland, we had uh, a, a more clouds. It was closer to the sea, so we had more clouds and more overcast. But now we, we've had bright sun without any clouds for a week, pretty much. Yeah, very and harsh contrast. Just so, now that yeah. we arrived in Napier, um, it, it started to... The clouds started to pull in and it's now raining and it will probably rain for a couple of days, which... Is kind of a bit of a relief, right? <laughs> yes, you, you can stay inside and <clears throat> not feel bad. I mean, today we did a did a short walk. Uh, Napier is known for its Art Deco, um, yeah, uh, Art Deco houses, um, and we did a short walk of about uh, yeah, the entire tour was two hours, so yeah. twenty minutes inside and one and a half hours outside, <clears throat> and then we did some shopping. But now we are sitting here in the kitchen and feeling pretty smart about not going out because it's so rainy outside and we can do other stuff or just doze right. away so so, so napier nice. napier is a is the is the food and wine capital of the north island here of new zealand hawks bay hawks bay yeah hawks bay um the reason this this architecture is so well preserved and there is so so much of the art deco architecture is because um during the depression there was a huge earthquake here that pretty much destroyed the city and um, they had to rebuild the entire thing and they decided to do this in that style. And that was the style that was being built back then. While the rest of, of uh, the world pretty much was in the depression and yeah. didn't build much, but they had to rebuild. So they did it. At least the entire business district. In the business district <laughs> and, and the downtown area. There's a lot of amazing, great architecture here. Um, again, it's also the wine capital here up in the north so we are going to have a wine related tour tomorrow the wine and craft beer wine and craft beer we're going to do the the uh the tourist thing for a day um we haven't we haven't booked that much of the tourist stuff but a few key things we have mm -hmm. and including here the wine thing which uh, we're both fans of wine so we'll um, this is a this is a door to door tour. They pick us up and they drop us back here, which I think is necessary. Sounds like a pretty good idea. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. Um, we've also done a couple of 
a couple of um, more more on the tourist side things a bit further up north near Rotorua. Um, one was the thermal village. The, the the thermal village, right? Which is uh, in Rotorua. It's a part of the the old old Maori um, space where they live uh, among. Well, there's ge geothermal activity there. Mm -hmm. There's uh, hot springs coming to the surface. There's steam everywhere, and they live among that. It's relatively touristy, but still a very informative tour. Um, the the people who 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 hold the tour. The Maori who hold the tour uh, are really good at explaining everything. Mm -hmm. So we learned a lot about Maori culture there. And also, it's 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 an active village. So it, between <clears throat> nine in the morning and five thirty in the afternoon, there are the tours. And apart from that, I mean, people live there. That's yeah. their that's their hometown, so to say. And um, they showed that how they make use of the geothermal um, activities there. So they have they use it to cook. They use it to cook. They have. They have pools there, very deep. Nobody actually can say how deep they are. <laughs> and they get hotter the deeper they are. And um, they actually, they could bring out a cookbook because they, they exactly know in which pool, how long to steam, which kind of um, produce or, or, or meat. So they say mussels in this pool, 15 to 30 seconds, um, carrots in this pool, two minutes. And they even pack entire meals into steam filled boxes and leave them there for I don't know four hours and when they come back everything is cooked and it's ready the, to go it's the Maori slow cooker absolutely absolutely <laughs> and then they have creeks um, and they they um, they channel the, the water in certain um, pools there where they can bath then they have hot bath hot at any bath time of the in, day yeah right so that is that is pretty awesome to see how you actually Do not need to have your own bathroom or maybe your own bathtub or a shower or even kitchen. I mean, for for hundreds of years, they they cook their stuff in there. So the houses they, they they met at the place where they cooked because they didn't have anything compared in the house. Sh shared cooking a space community, and a community cooking space right, and, so and cooking in air quotes because it's more like steaming and. Or yeah, or simmering, simmering yeah, yeah. in the pools because some of the some of the water in the pools gets up to boiling temperature, boiling temperature and mm -hmm. above. Yeah. <clears throat> so the other thing, um, same as with Paul. I mean, Paul reached out uh, and asked if we wanted to experience a few things that are not on the tourist route, and we are so happy about this because, I mean. We did see a few places that you can buy postcards at, but those were not the places. Um, and in general, the the audience, the community, so many people have 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 provided tips and 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 hints of where to go, what to see, stuff that again often isn't very touristy, which we appreciate. And um, we had this one thing that was just amazing. Um, Monica, you're also a podcaster. Yeah, right. And uh, we together have a little German podcast where we just talk about things the same way we do right now, but in German. And it's his own podcast. It's called Abzug FM. And we did a little episode of maybe a week into, no, half a week into this. Yeah. We did a little episode where we just talked about our initial impressions of New Zealand. And 
One of the things we mentioned is that we didn't uh, manage to get tickets to Hobbiton. Hobbiton is this, uh, the, the filming set for The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings movies, which is where the hobbits live, the, the, you know, the, the buildings with the little round doors underground and the, the, the movie set. Mm-hmm. And it is a, it is an attraction here. It's um, it's well organized. You can go there. You can get tickets. You can get a tour. And we went online and we didn't find uh, anything. It was all sold out. It was out. all fully booked. It was all fully booked. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and then the day before we we would have gone there, uh, you got contacted by Annika. Yeah, I got contacted by Annika. She is one of the listeners also of my my fiber related German podcast and. We've met two two years ago when she visited Germany. She is f- from Germany, from Germany originally, but uh, teaches at a university here in New Zealand. And um, she she contacted me via Instagram. So so you come over. So um, we should can, meet. Can, we yeah. should meet. And I said, of course, let me check out uh, our schedule. And um, yeah, and then she also listened to that one podcast episode where we complained that. We, we didn't really complain. We, yeah, a little bit that uh, that the tickets for Hobbiton were all sold out. Um, and um, then she contacted me and she said, hmm, you should have told me that earlier because hmm, I might have an idea how to get you some tickets. I will not <laughs> I will not dig deeper into that because that's her secret. <clears throat> and, um, and also I told her, so I have another thing going. I mailed um, a certain company if I could visit their place and they, they didn't it's respond a spinning, so far. It's a spinning wheel maker. It's the Magicraft is a spinning wheel, well-known spinning wheel maker here in New Zealand. And I own a wheel from Magicraft, so I was interested if I could visit their workshop. So, and she she gave me she <clears throat> dropped me a few lines via Instagram, and she said, "Okay, um, I've also contacted uh, the Magicraft guys, and they will be if they are on holiday, but there will be somebody in the workshop, so mm-hmm. we might get a tour." And concerning Hobbiton, uh, let me ch- check what I can do. Let me pull a few strings. Yes, <laughs> that she did. So big shout out to Annika. Um, that was really, really <clears throat> awesome, and so she managed to get us on a tour for the next in, on the next day in the morning, and we drove over to um, what was the, the the name of the of the little town? Um, well, let's call it Hobbiton. It's not Hobbiton, but it's uh, it's it's now it's now for the tour from from tourist point of view, it's Hobbiton. It's Hobbiton, yeah. yeah. And so, so we we did the tour, and actually, what was what was so cool is when you first enter that. Um, yeah, that um, farmland where it was where the the movie was produced. You wonder how a landscape could look like that. And apart from, I think one tree that has been transplanted and one tree that is actually not real. They, they built they built an entire tree um, on the set, but it, you can't tell. You can tell. Um, the rest you is, cannot tell. The rest is totally real. I mean, there are the most important, <clears throat> the most. I don't know, beautiful hills, massive trees on there. Everything is green and lush. And then all of a sudden, uh, a flock of sheep is mm-hmm. strolling by. And, and the, the landscape is so beautiful. It's just <clears throat> unreal to look at. You, you cannot believe it. It's unreal. And it, I mean, you know, if, if you shoot something today, you might have to do a little bit, bit of green screen here because there's something unsightly and then there's a clone there's a, a fence out or clone a fence out or or uh, take care of some electric uh, mass in the background, that kind of stuff. And they didn't have to do anything of that there. It was just 
brilliant to see this pristine piece of landscape and what they've made with it. Now, this was this is an outside set, just to make sure everyone understands this. You cannot go inside Bilbo uh, Baggins house it's just they, they it's literally the front and the doors and then there's the chimneys coming out and there's some smoke from some of the chimneys but it's all like manuka just wood. manuka wood, wood chips, chips burning in there to give you kind of the impression there's a fire in the fireplace but the trees and everything is pretty much all real there's gardeners who keep that uh, thing pristine and the way this this uh, this happened is that i think uh, peter jackson they found that space they flew over it <laughs> with a helicopter. helicopter they did scouting yeah. they found this they uh, got in contact with a farmer and they and saw the, the trees that's what made them consider the spot it was <clears throat> all about the trees and the trees and there's a lake which also fits in the yeah. story and they uh, they pretty much talked talked to the farmer and the farmer being also a bit of a businessman uh, was okay with them doing this yeah, first he said you can do it but then you clean the spot afterwards and yeah go out but then people started to w want to see the set and yeah. uh, for for the next shooting but they came back for the hobbit yeah he said well okay you can have it again but this time please build the set permanently yeah <laughs> So uh, he's, he's, I think he's making good money oh, with, uh, yes, with the is. tours there. It's really well organized. They, I think they have 80 guides there. And in, in, in total, 400 people working at the place. And, and on the yeah. weekends, there's like tours every 10 minutes. There's, so so from a photography point of view, uh, there's a lot of tourists it's there. It's cheesy. It's a bit cheesy, <laughs> but being on that set um, and seeing the, 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 the exteriors there... That is quite a quite a neat thing to see. The most impressive thing for me was um, arriving with the bus at the um, entry where the tour started. Yeah. Because when you arrive in the bus, they play that video um, where you see the... <laughs> they have a little excerpt from the movie. Right, right. right. And then you look over that landscape and it <clears throat> literally gives you goosebumps because it's just so amazingly beautiful and if you've seen the movies and if you if you kind of are a fan of that environment of that universe then um, that's certainly a place to see absolutely yeah so then being in that environment and looking at all those little houses it's yeah it was it was nice to see it but it was a bit from my point of view it was a bit too much but the but the farmland that is just amazing i'm super happy that i had a chance to see it yeah right so um, that's, I think, it so far. I mean, the, the vegetation here is amazing. Landscapes, you could pretty much stop anywhere and take good photos here. So Apart uh, from the light right now. Well, apart from the, the light is really the thing. But of course, I mean, it's, the, it's summer right now and, and uh, the days are very long, which means uh, the sunrise is very early, the sunset is very late. Um, and we're still taking it slow. We're not hurrying. We have booked... Um, we've booked bed and breakfasts all over the North and South Island, usually like three nights here, three nights there. So we're taking our time. Uh, again, a few things we have picked out up front and booked, um, but often we just go to a place and check out and, and check it out yeah. and find out more while we while we while we're on the way, um, which has which always in also in the past has always worked out really well for us. Um, It's it's not that we kind of have to be busy here every minute of the day. No, it's it's also important to just sit somewhere, take up the atmosphere, and 
in this case, New, New Zealand has a lot of funny birds. When I can say so, when you just sit, birds, when you just yeah. sit down in the garden, um, you you hear a lot of animal noises that you cannot you haven't experienced before so it's difficult to find out is this a bird or whatever exactly is it so we you yesterday evening we heard something that was sounded really funny and you ex checked out on your on your on your phone if there are some birds known that do that kind of sound so might might be a gray warbler here i've listened to some sounds online um so anyway the north north island We are going to leave the North Island in a couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, we'll we'll stop over in Wellington, where we are going to meet someone else, another Paul, who reached out through the podcast um, and who will, yeah, meet us there. Um, not exactly sure what we're going to do there. Probably listen to a concert. Wellington have is a picnic in have a picnic or something along those lines. And weather. And weather workshop, again, one of those things we have booked, we made sure to book because it's almost like a pilgrimage to go to weather workshop. Um, we're great fans. so We're great fans and parts of the maker community. So that exactly. is something what, what you just cannot miss. You cannot miss. And then it's going to be um, pretty much almost four weeks on the South Island, mm -hmm. which Again, culturally will be different. Landscape-wise will be different. Um, and also the, the plants, as, so trees and everything will be different. Even And the people there, as far as we know, will be even more laid back than the ones here in the north. Um, That's but, what the, northern, the northerners uh, tell you. But so. in general, the people are so amazing. And I, I think I want to just finish this up with uh, saying... Uh, Big thank you to everyone in the community who has reached out, who has uh, sent in suggestions, who has contacted us and has made a few things possible. Um, if you are anywhere on the South Island, um, we're going to be down there. So maybe, maybe someone knows something or has some good tips, send them, send them to me. Also, voicemail is welcome. I will try to do weekly episodes from now on again. Um, I'll do my best. To, to manage that um, has uh, kind of depends a bit on the internet up here in the North Island. It's it's fairly good, so it should be no problem to upload down in the South. I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. But Matt is there helping to release the episodes, so I think we yeah. we should be okay. Keep your fingers crossed that we find the the cafe that has free Wi-Fi. <laughs> that, that will be probably one of the go-to spots. So and one, one more shout out because he's not part of the community yet, but maybe soon or sooner or later is Andy from Majacraft. Oh yeah. Andrew, he, Andrew. He um, made us, not only made us tea, <laughs> but also got a, a short introduction into podcasts from us. And then he showed us the workshop, the Magicraft workshop and how they do the spinning wheels. And that was, that was really an awesome afternoon. So that thank you. was cool too. And there are also going to be a few photos from there behind the scenes of a spinning wheel maker, a spinning wheel factory. Yeah, it's a small factory. It's, it's a workshop. workshop. Yeah, 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 it's more a workshop. Yeah. All right. So Monica, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, thank you. I think I'll... I'll have you back here. <laughs> That's okay. 
Let me say a quick thank you to this week's sponsor, Nations Photo Lab. Clear your camera roll and print out your favorite moments. Get 15 free square prints from Nations Photo Lab. Just head to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use code TOPFLOOR15. Nations Photo Lab prints are made by photographers for photographers. Choose from the popular 4x4 or 5x5 inch size prints on their professional quality luster paper. And voila! You've turned your Instagrams into instant memories that'll last for years to come. Your photos don't belong on your phone. Photo prints are the perfect way to personalize any space, whether you're filling empty frames that sit on your shelves, making a collage of photos to place in your office, or using prints in a decorative banner for your bestie's bachelorette. Print your trip overseas, your baby's first step, or your client's engagement session. Nation's Photo Lab prints are the perfect way to capture your favorite moments. Make every moment matter. Try Nations Photo Lab today and head to nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and use code TOPFLOOR15 for your 15 free square prints. That's nationsphotolab.com slash print your photos and code TOPFLOOR15. And I thank them for the support. All right, that was Monica and uh, I'm pretty sure <laughs> she will be back here on the show on a future episode. Um, oh, and by the way, we've also set up an online photo album that we share the odd picture in, just mostly snapshots. But if you want to follow along, uh, it's at tfttf.com slash nzphotos or nzphotos according to the Kiwis. tfttf.com slash nzphotos. And yeah, check it out. So here's a thing that... Oh, wanted to talk about for a while and it hasn't uh there hasn't been a good opportunity to do that uh, but recently it happened again and uh what i did is i used vertical video for something and i got scolded for it by a few people online like uh, what what how could you use vertical video and of course uh, some of that was in jest but yeah it's, it's still i mean what is wrong with vertical video? Why are so many people seemingly against it? And obviously, lots of people make fun of it online. There's there's videos about vertical video syndrome, VVS, and how it can be avoided. But honestly, why? I mean, that was still this is a question that comes up over and over again. Um, what is wrong with that? Now, if we look at a bit at the history of aspect ratios... Um, if you look through the history of formats of, of aspect ratios, widescreen as we know it today wasn't always the norm, right? Uh, if you look at the original Kodak camera that shot round photos, it was masked. It, it had a square piece of paper in there, but it was masked or film in there, but it was masked um, probably because the the corners were too fuzzy or too out of focus because of the quality of the optics. Um, if you look at medium format, 120 film, um, the, the film photographers among you will know it. Uh, some of the most famous pictures have been shot on square format, uh, like from a Hasselblad or from uh, the Rolleiflex. Uh, Vivian Meyer is a good example there. So that's the 6x6 six six format, 6x6 six six centimeters, that is. Um, there's also other widths of the format, 6x7, six 6x8, by 6x9, six by 6x12, by even more panoramic um, and then 35 millimeters, uh, yeah, it's 24 millimeters high, 36 millimeters wide. So that's the, it's, it's starting to get kind of the, the, 
the slightly wider format is getting more the norm uh, or has gotten more the norm in history. Um, it's more rectangular. It's the two by three aspect ratio that we also know on today's DSLRs. But then there's also the four by three aspect ratio that is um, micro four thirds, for example. It used to be the norm for computer screens for a long time. Uh, today's televisions are usually 16 by nine. Um, and then if you look into cinema, uh, we have a wild mix of aspect ratios. 1.85 by 1, 2 by 1, 2.35 by 1, 21 by 9. If you Google that, these aspect ratios for film, you can see that over the history of, of movies. Um, there have been a lot of different aspect ratios and still are. And uh, aspect ratios are also not just a result of the available technology but also a result of the times and the and the taste um good example here is budapest uh, grand budapest hotel the movie great movie i really liked it and throughout the movie you will notice it uses three different aspect ratios that are tied to the different times those scenes play in there's a 1.85 by 1 which is often used today then uh, then there's 2.35 by 1 which is wider also in use today but also in fashion in the 60s so that's uh, some scenes that play there and then there's 1.37 by 1 which is also known as the academy ratio that was often used before 1950 um, and that's again in uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel that's used in uh, the parts that played earlier so the history of aspect ratios is a really interesting one and we're not done yet uh, they changed over time um, so that's 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 the history of aspect ratios but then of course there's also a, a physiological side to that the eyes our eyes I mean we, we they are side by side they are not on top of each other, they are widescreen, right? We are made for widescreen. Individual eyes, uh, if you put them together, I mean, our brain kind of automatically generates a wide, a wide format out of two not-so-wide eyes, but we perceive that as a wide format, and that's how we see. And then the history, the physiological side, there's also the content side, of course. Um, Here's here's a story. Um, Monica and I we were in uh, in the Himalayas in Tibet many years ago, and we saw yak herders. That while we were hiking and while they were they were herding the yaks, the the, the yaks that transported our our luggage and things, um, they were also spinning. They were spinning wool, and uh, they were using drop spindles, which is pretty much a string they had they had the fleece the the unspun fleece wrapped around their hands and then the, the 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 string is the string hangs down i'm using all the wrong terms monica is giving me uh the eye here <laughs> let me just try to kind of <laughs> to to explain that to the layman um the 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 thing that comes out of the fleece that turns into the string hangs down and then at the bottom of it is is the drop spindle and that turns and they that's how they spin the wool but this is a generally vertical thing right it goes from the top to the bottom and uh, of course i shot video there and to be as close as possible to the action i shot that vertical that was the best format possible to use for that um 
Another story, a friend of mine was once hired to shoot video. He's a professional video maker, and he was hired to shoot video for a shop display. So, like some boutique has, has a few screens, and they want to have some video playing on those screens to advertise and to show stuff to people. Those are 16 by 9 screens. So far, so good. But they are mounted vertically. So he had to turn his camera sideways 90 degrees, um, which was tough for him because he had a hard time operating them well. But um, the stuff he shot for them, he had to shoot at uh, with a 90 degree tilted camera. So the content or the, the usage of the content does, of course, uh, also dictate your aspect ratio. And that might as well then be vertical. Let's see, history, physio physiological um, parameters, the content, the technology. Let's talk about technology here for, for a second as well. Um, because, uh, of course, as much as an aspect ratio can be used to set a time period, it is also linked to the technology. And in the case of vertical video, it's tightly linked to our smartphones, of course, which we hold with a vertical screen orientation. I mean... I'm not sure. I haven't done the math. I've done this. Haven't done the statistics. But I would say that 90% of the time we hold our phones vertically. And if you look at video on the different platforms, on Snapchat or on Periscope or on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, a lot of it's either mandated to be vertical or it's easier to be vertical. Um, some companies even have gone to making this square, the video by, by default square, so you it doesn't matter which orientation you hold your device it's just always gonna be square uh and in my case i think the the one that got this whole thing kicked off was i posted a video snippet to twitter that i shot for an instagram story so um instagram stories are vertical by default and i had the snippet on my phone used it in an instagram story but i thought it was interesting enough to put it on twitter and uh that was a perfect fit because Twitter also uses vertical video. So yeah, but that's how, how I got all the feedback. So conclusion. I mean, the different aspect ratios make sense depending on history, on physio physiology, on content, on technology. Um, so is vertical video bad? Well, if you want to shoot a movie for the big cinema screen, it certainly wouldn't be my first choice, but... If you want to share something that will most likely be consumed only on a small vertical handheld screen, I don't see any issues with vertical video. So what are your thoughts? Let me know. Send a voicemail to voice at tfttf.com. Do you shoot vertical video and do you get told off because you do it? Voice at tfttf.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Hey, Chris. Uh, Larry from Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Regarding the uh, subscription uh, situation with uh, Lightroom uh, from your episode of this past week, I was also wondering that uh, in some time in the future, I suspect there will be a point where I will simply not be able to afford the extra $10 a month and was wondering if you knew if Lightroom would work at all if you weren't connected to the subscription you know, maybe still be able to open your collections and so forth, but not edit or add any pictures. Or if it simply would tell you that you're not subscribed, go away. Um, thanks for any insights you may have. 
Thanks, Larry. Uh, that's a very good question. Uh, will Lightroom stop working after your subscription ends? And uh, this has been a big question uh, for a lot of people. And uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of you are looking into into um, moving on to something else. And I, I can't uh, blame you for it because the, the monthly subscription, if you're not professional, if you if you don't have a huge collection that yeah that is a kind of a logical step to try to find something else and there are alternatives coming on the market slowly but they are they're getting there and I'm still waiting for uh, for serif to come out with an affinity lightroom killer if if, if that's going to happen i know they're working on that but uh yeah i'm not using i don't use photoshop anymore i'm on affinity photo pretty much all the time now when I do Photoshop-related stuff or Photoshop-like stuff. Um, but Lightroom is still my go-to thing. And for me, I don't really see a big alternative to Lightroom for myself. But I, again, Larry, I understand um, that at one point you might just stop wanting to pay for the subscription. And Adobe has been asked that question a lot. And they say that Lightroom will still work to view your photos and to export your photos without a subscription. There's a blog entry on Lightroom, um, but they, I mean, they are develop, they are disabling functionality uh, on the old versions. Um, on on some of those, the develop and map modules uh, have kind of been disabled uh, for for uh, for non-subscribed users. But the product manager is quoted. Uh, Tom Hogarty is the product manager. He has he's he's quoted. Um, with um, this will not impact your previous standalone versions of Lightroom and we will continue to provide upgrades to the perpetual versions of Lightroom so whatever that means but um, to my knowledge if you stop the subscription you will still be able to view your photos and to export them so you can at least get your developed versions out of Lightroom and um, I hope that answers your question All right, that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thank you so much for being subscribed. And uh, if you're not, go to tfttf.com. There's a big subscribe button on the side and that'll make sure you get the show every time delivered to you automatically. Of course, if you like this episode, let me know by giving TFTTF a rating on iTunes or by supporting it in any other way. Patreon is great. Word of mouth is great. I'm just very grateful for all your support and every bit helps. More at tfttf.com slash support. Thank you. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Silent Partner, Hans Peter Kagrod, Publishing and Slack Challenges by Release Pixie, Mad Refs, Tor Armset, Slack Imitations by Chief Imitation Officer, CIO Rusty Rust. Yep, the Slack is still a thing and I love the discussions there. Uh, the link to get on the Slack is in the show notes. That's it from New Zealand. My name is Chris Markred. You'll find me on social media. And I told Go out and take amazing photos. I Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. And happy shooting.